0: Good evening, podcast listeners. It's once again time for a daring fireball presentation of the talk show live. We're coming to you from Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference 2019. And now, the man we've all been waiting for, John Gruber.
1: I am John Gruber, your internet friend. Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I am that guy. I'm the guy who came out on stage with a device with a beta OS. <laughs> and it is going off. <laughs> uh, uh. Hold on. buggy. Ah, my blue cards. All right, before we get started, I would like to thank our sponsors, without whom this show would not be possible. Uh, First sponsor, longtime sponsor of this show, Mac Stadium. They do... They do Mac infrastructure. They host Macs. Uh, I don't know if they heard any good news on the keynote. Uh, I haven't talked to them this week. I mean, I know they're around, and I know there's some of the fine folks who are in here. Um, but they have over 20,000 Macs in data centers around the world. They are ready for all Mac deployments, including Mac minis, iMacs, even XServes. Am I missing something? John, what am I missing? Mac Mac Pro. <laughs> Rack Mountable. They are heavily invested in security, scalability, and support for iOS and Mac development, having a server where you can do builds, all sorts of useful stuff you guys know about. They're a great company. This week, they're announcing Orca. That's Orca with a K, and it stands for orchestration with Kubernetes, which I was going to pronounce Kubernetes. (laughs) And I checked, and they said Kubernetes, and I thought, you know what? I should have just pronounced it wrong. It would have been more on brand. Uh, I don't know why I asked. Uh, But it's the only way to do native Kubernetes commands, which I have no idea what that is, to create and orchestrate (laughs) macOS VMs on genuine Apple hardware. It is also super fast. Uh, So for more information and exclusive discounts for you fine folks who are listening, go to maxstadium.com slash the talk show, maxstadium.com slash the talk show. Our next sponsor, the Omni Group. Sounds like you've heard of them. Uh, Of course you have. They are one of the all-time great indie iOS and Mac developers. They go all the way back to Next. They've been around for over 25 years, and it's a rare example of steady leadership in this field, a company that just keeps on top of the game. What they want to talk about is OmniFocus for the web, which just launched out of beta. Uh, Now, what they could have done, what most people do for a web backend to a service is they write their own web-type thing, and it's a web app, and they use web technologies. And instead, what these crazy people did is they're using the same Objective-C and Swift code that OmniFocus for Mac is built with, and they're running it on Mac servers, and when you, and they just have a web output display from the same code. crazy, right? And so for all of the consternation that people like us and all the anger we have at at developers who make web apps and then put them in a shell and call it their Mac app, (laughs) the Omni group has done the right thing. They took their Mac app and now it's on the web. (laughs) Super, super great. Uh, It's so very Omni to do something so nutty sounding. Check it out at... Check out OmniFocus for the web. Find out more details, how to sign up for it, et cetera, et cetera. OmniFocus.com slash DF. That's OmniFocus.com slash DF. Third and final sponsor, another great company I bet a lot of you guys have heard of, Slack. Slack for iOS is used by millions of people every day, including me, to stay productive, whether they're bouncing between meetings or on the go. Their iOS team is focused on a variety of projects from connecting businesses through shared channels to inventing tools for performance monitoring at very high scale, as you might imagine from how busy they are. If you, developers, want to sweat the details... And help define the future of Slack for mobile. Head on over to slack.com/careers. That's slack.com/careers. iOS app. Maybe the you know these iOS developers at Slack will be Mac developers. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's it for business. Uh, I have a special guest to come out. Actually, I guess I have two. Looks like. So, without any further ado, my guests for this evening Craig Federighi.
2: Among your people, correct?
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're all our people. That was more applause than the Mac Pro guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, uh, Jaws, you and I talked briefly yesterday, and I said to you, uh, first impressions after the keynote were it was very, very exciting because you guys had so much to announce that hadn't leaked in advance. Uh, and that makes it fun, and it makes it exciting. And then I said, and it also makes me realize that when more stuff does leak, it makes my job easier because
0: you have more time <laughs> to, to digest,
1: yeah. more time to process. Uh, and we were talking backstage. You, you apparently there is one rumor back Apple rumor site that you, oh you were a fan of.
0: Well, <laughs> which is funny because out of context, that sounds bad because I yeah. shouldn't <laughs> like any. I shouldn't like any rumor site, but there was a rumor site, and I hope. John Moltz still listens to this show. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Crazy Apple rumor site was like gospel for us. <laughs> Phil and I and the rest of the marketing team, we read it every morning with, oh, my God, what is he going to say today? And what I didn't want to say backstage was my, one of our favorites was, first of all, guys, take yourself back to 2002. All right, and remember, back then we had really one platform, right. Mac, right? And so we had a little bit more time to be theatrical in our <laughs> keynotes. Uh, you know, now we're like, get moving, get moving, get moving. And uh, so, so if you remember, in 2002, Steve had a very theatrical goodbye to macOS 9. Uh, LAUGHTER those so you remember it? It was here, at WWDC, back in May. I think it was Mother's Day when we did those things, and uh, right after, and and so he had this big scene. You had dry ice and this coffin that raised <laughs> out of the ground, and and you don't know what's going on. You've got you know stained glass windows in the back, and, and church music's playing, and everybody's like. WTF? What's what's going on? (laughs) And Steve comes out and quiets the audience and begins to read a eulogy. Right? And opens up the coffin, puts a big Mac OS 9 in it and and says his very tearful (laughs) words he wrote. Right? Goodbye to Mac OS 9. And beautiful moment then the coffin lowers back in and you think it's over until the next day. Uh, in which John Moltz wrote the continuation of the story. And for those that may remember, he wrote that macOS 9 started reaching back out from the grave saying, <laughs> I'm not dead. <laughs> and he did a very, as he wrote, just brilliant writing that he did about the, uh, you know, how macOS 9 was trying to get back out of the coffin and Steve was beating it back down into <laughs> the coffin. <laughs> And what made it even better is every week we had a weekly marketing staff with Steve, and we showed Steve this. We we're like, this is just priceless. you got to read this. And so Steve reads it not just to himself. He reads it out loud. <laughs> so for us, it was this continuation of his battle with Mac OS 9 as it's trying to say, I'm not dead yet. And, uh, and Steve... It was priceless, let's say that. <laughs> so, so then, one last thing, and John Moulton probably hate us saying this, but you know, he got, Steve goes, you know, that guy's a pretty good writer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we can always use good writers, you know, and why don't we reach out to him and see if he wants to come work at Apple? So Phil says, I'll, I'll write to him, you know, because we wrote to him on occasion. And so Phil writes to, to John and says, hey, any, any interest in coming to work at Apple? He writes back, only if I ever got really desperate. <laughs>
1: There you go. All right. One of my jobs uh, (laughs) is to figure out what order I want to ask questions. And and there was so much stuff announced yesterday that it's it's a struggle. But I don't want to run short on time talking about the things I'm most interested in. So I'm going to go in, in that order. And I can't.
2: <laughs> the show is going to go downhill. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> at the end, but what he's I, like, I got I'm not is... really interested in the answer to this question. <laughs> but we with, with the
1: head of software engineering right here at our disposal for an hour. I can't think of anything better to talk about than hardware. <laughs> And you're saying that's what you want to talk yeah. about
0: the most? That's what's this most what interesting job. to me, Seth. Yes, so. apparently. So I need to introduce you to Dan Riccio at How some many point. hardware uh, engineers
2: are in the audience? How many software engineers are in the audience? <laughs> Heck yeah. All right, go ahead. Answer your, ask your question. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> two, years ago, when, when two years ago, Apple invited a few of us in the press out for what you called a Mac roundtable, and it was, you know, you sort of laid your uh, uh, roadmap ahead of us and uh, sort of acknowledged the, as you called it, the thermal corner you'd painted yourselves in with the previous generation Mac Pro, and here's where we're going to go. You guys even said we have a Pro iMac coming before that. All of those things have now come to pass. Uh, but there was definitely, uh, last year, when it got to the point where, where there was a, um, a sort of a, hey, by the way, that Mac Pro thing we're talking about, that's not really a 2018 thing, that's, that's a 2019 thing. The reaction from a lot of people I know was sort of, why can't they just make a big tower and poop it out? <laughs> I think you're confusing us with a different computer company. <laughs> The, the gist of it being, if this is going to take two years, this better be some fancy friggin' hardware. I think that was answered, I think, you know, where have we been spending our time on this was answered in spades on Monday. Um, I have questions, though. Because <laughs> I'm still not sure I understand it all. So... <sighs> you do understand the question. But... <laughs> This is not like any other computer on Earth. This is a lot of custom engineering. Like and the MPX module, that's Mac Pro expansion. expansion. Yep. Uh, afterburner. Yep. Um, is afterburner, is that an MPX module, or is that's a, a different No, oh, no, it's own its card. Car. Yep. Right.
0: Programmable uh, ASIC, so it can be reprogrammed in milliseconds.
1: But what does he, explain to me that what that means by reprogramming it. Like, what What type of oh, programming that software stuff?
2: Jaws <laughs> revealed to me earlier today that he was a computer engineer in college, so a long time ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you saw what we're using it for right now. It's, you know, it literally can process 6 billion pixels a second, right, right? doing the ProRes and ProRes RAW. Uh, it's it is a burner, hence the name of what actually led to us thinking, let's call it Afterburner.
2: Yeah, it's essentially programmable hardware. So so you're programming these gates so that then once once you have that going, I mean, things are going through in virtually like dedicated hardware speed. And so that's what enables this ProRes decoding right. to happen at such staggering speed and to offload the rest of the hardware to do everything. But does
1: that mean that in, in the at some point in the future somebody could reprogram it to do something other than... Absolutely. Right, so the, the ProRes working with real-size... 5K 8K. 8K three three streams of 8K John. three streams of 8K the way that they, you know that this is a great breakthrough for people who, who work with that, that sort of video that's just one thing that you're announcing that it can be done with it that's could right. all
2: right. right there's more to come i mean i'm like not going anything but the, <laughs> one could imagine i can imagine quite a lot <laughs>
0: And to your point about not being painted in a thermal window, I mean, you saw the stat on this. We literally move 300 cubic feet of air through there a minute.
2: Yeah, be careful walking by the thing. You're (laughs) just going to get completely blown out of your office. But think about it.
0: That's a pretty good-sized room that we can push that entire airflow through in a minute if we need to. And that allows us to run this thing at full speed all the time. Right? It doesn't
1: have to throttle. Right. Um, How much are the wheels going to cost
2: <laughs> I mean, what we really is a perfect wheel worth it. <laughs> <laughs> How many do you want? I mean, yeah. <laughs> How many do you need?
1: Well, that's the thing. I'm imagining that they're very nice wheels. I was really sort of hoping that the hand... If, if there were wheels in the hands-on area, I missed them. I really... I
2: wanted to sit there and... and there was one. And uh, there yeah. are installment plans available. for <laughs> real purchases. They all save up.
1: <laughs> I have been told by a reliable source... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's that. It's it yeah, <laughs> stark contrast. To the that, all stage. right, it's coming out in the fall. You guys like to keep other stuff secret. You know, you're going to show. You know, here's a big unveil, but you're not revealing everything. I have been told that the Mac Pro will ship with the most quote insane packaging <laughs> that Apple has done in a while. So who's your
0: source? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just have to wait to see, John. Yeah, Uh, But you can imagine, it won't be shitty packaging.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I told this story, and again, maybe I'm just out of touch. I have since been told that, you know, there are database servers with massive amounts of RAM. But during the keynote, I uh, was sitting next to uh, someone from Apple... And No, it's Bill Evans from PR. It's no big deal. Uh, but uh, when it was announced that you could configure it with up to 1.5 terabytes of memory, I just instantly assumed that it meant storage, like SSD. And I was like, well, 1.5 terabytes isn't even that much. And I, I said,
0: <laughs> Why are people applauding so yeah, much? This is a <laughs> curious reaction. And,
1: and I, 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 I said, He didn't mean RAM, did he? And he goes, Yeah, RAM. And I'm like, Wait, he said 1.5 terabytes. <laughs> and he said, Just shut up and listen. <laughs> but that's it's serious. It's a lot of memory. It's a serious well, of memory. And, and the, In my experience, that's just, you know, from my youth onward, that's just not how computers tend to evolve. The iMac Pro, which until Monday was the fastest computer you guys have ever had announced, maxes out at 256 gigabytes of RAM, which to me sounds like enough to open some browser tabs. And (laughs) (laughs) And so the way computers have always worked in my life is, you know, things happen like they double. Or maybe you add another 128 and go to 384. You get these numbers like that. You don't just go from 256 gigabytes to 1.5 terabytes. That seems crazy. This machine is a sports car computer.
0: Well, and going back to what you said, the conference that we had way back in 2017, we knew we had to create something really special. Right? and that's why this wasn't uh, if you ever go walking the halls of CES and you see that you can buy these chassis from Taiwan and throw a you know, a chip in them and throw an operating system on it and you're in the computer business uh, that isn't what we were trying to do Right, we were going to create something that was going to be really, really special and something we thought was really designed for our pro customers, including the display Right, that's just nuts in and of itself so we knew that was going to take some time uh, hence why we were trying to set the expectation not soon right. <laughs> you
1: know? Well, speaking of the display, the Pro Display XDR is gorgeous. It is incredible. It was funny, though, doing some of the behind-the-scenes stuff with the media and getting to see some side-by-side comparisons with some competing products. And, and this, They kept calling it the 6K display, and I couldn't tell if they were talking about the pixels or the price. <laughs> I honest to God... I, I thought because usually the people from product marketing are very precisely spoken and I, was like, <laughs> and I thought and it was a really good presentation that was really well rehearsed and very you know like yeah I could see the difference and I was like I can't believe she keeps calling it the 6k display like enough already stop rubbing my nose off
0: I like a thousand,
1: thousand. <laughs> right <laughs> uh, the the matte finish, which you're not really calling a matte finish, you're calling it a nano nano texture. That's because as you, and you probably got the briefing, the normal
0: right. matte that people do, it you know, causes this sparkle, it right. causes this just really weird effect on the screen. And this is a process unlike anybody's done before that you know etches the glass in a way that you know if you do the little test and shine a you know bright light on, it, you see that it handles the the you know the glare in a way that no one's done before. Right, it's an incredible process that we invented to do that. You know, it, 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 it make it clear: the standard display has industry-leading anti-reflective coating. Right, so it's so it's wonderful in the in the base config.
1: But if you really want the matte, the nano is just just nuts. Right. Yeah, and side by side, if you, if, I don't know how many people got to see it side by side, but I did. And when you're looking at it straight on with no glare. They look identical. You cannot tell them apart. The color's the same. The brightness is the same. It's remarkable. And then if you angle your head in a way to kind of get, like, a glare, it is like there is no glare on right. the matte one. Yeah. It is really something. Yeah.
0: Now there, it, it really is a special display. The amount of engineering that went in by our display team is just incredible. Everything from the blue LEDs to how they, the light is literally shaped, you know, going, you know, through... Uh, through the, the LCD itself, you, know, you get a million-to-one contrast ratio. And as you heard Colleen, who we, didn't Colleen do a great job on stage, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, it's,
1: you know, it's extreme, you know, that so dynamic I, you know, range. Yeah. I, I joke about, you know, calling it the 6K display. It is expensive. Yep. And I think that from what I've seen in the last two days, there's... It, I think some people are, are seeing this wrong, or it, where it fits on the marketplace, that it, it is not for everybody. It is really truly meant for people who are doing work that demands these insane specs. It's, it's not, you know, like... Well, you saw the competitive Benchmark, right, which is a display that we showed in the keynote.
0: The reference, the gold standard, costs $43,000. Right. And what's amazing about it is you see them in that whole lineup you saw that reference display can only keep the brightness up on that image for a very short period of time. The more white that's in that image, it actually has a hardware light <laughs> that stays green when it's at brightness, and, it's, and within sometimes seconds, it has to go amber until you no longer trust this image, right? right? And that's the reference display at $43,000, so we've blown that away, you know, at you know, just over a tenth the price. right.
1: Yeah, and, you know, and the message, it seems very clear, that it, it really will enable that in a lot of pro- seriously professional Hollywood pipelines, there's only one of those displays at the end of the chain, yeah. and footage comes out yeah, of the correct. camera and starts yeah. going process and isn't being looked at, even by these pros, on a true reference the very end until it gets to the end, and then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, hey, your shirt's the wrong color. What, yeah. what are you doing? Totally
0: true. Now everybody in the, in the workflow can have one, so okay. uh, we're super proud of the work our engineers did, on that. It's incredible. All right, let's talk software.
3: All right. <laughs> hey.
1: Mac OS Catalina. Let's just go Mac to Mac. We'll go okay. hardware to software. Uh, <laughs> Same thing we did in the keynote, by the way. I, am, I know I'm going to misspeak here because the way my brain works, I, it's like a hashing algorithm. I'm going to confuse Catalyst with Catalina probably every t- time I say it, but I'll try to keep it straight. Um, I think this was the order you, you introduced them, where, where you talked about the iTunes and you had a great segment where you right. went through the history of iTunes and how simple it was in the early days and how it kept taking on more and more weight um, and so now we have music which is just music but is born from the roots of what we knew as iTunes with the same playlists and yep. stuff like that it's super fast a podcast uh, app, which is written using Catalyst, correct, um, and the TV app. Yep. Uh, is the TV app a Catalyst app as well? No. 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 Huh. Of those three, just podcasts.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm? Of those three, just podcasts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I will say, I mean, I have not installed it, so I can't say that it, using it does. But getting a demo and seeing it, the Podcast app looks like the sibling to the music app in terms of the concerns that I've had, I know that other people have had, that what we now know is Catalyst wasn't going to let you make apps that look like a real Mac app. Right. And I don't think that's true at all, at least in what we see now this year.
2: Oh, sure. No, I mean, Catalyst certainly, well, it's UIKit API, so you've got a UI view instead of an NS view. Uh, I mean, it's a fully native framework, uh, and we have an appropriate set of controls, and you can... Uh, take advantage of all the platform features to build a really distinctive experience so uh, it 's it's definitely the case that if you, you know, just push the Mac button in, in interface builder and build the app that you 're going to get a, a some degree of macification but you know it really is for uh, developers to take some care to uh, do, do the design work to make a great mac experience, um, but you don 't have to at least rewrite all of all of your code in order to do that so you can have. Uh, one, one code base and one team who understands one set of frameworks to do that work. But it's, it's a you know, parallel native framework set for the Mac.
1: Can you, it, like, let's say you, you've, you have an iOS app, and you click the checkbox, add it to Mac, and then you spend some time really Macifying it and doing things that, that only make sense on the Mac or should be different on the Mac. Can you also call into AppKit or if you're a Catalyst app, you're in UIKit, and that's there's there's like a boundary.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's some indirect ways. Like if you have a separate window in the app, and you want to, and that's a, you know, inspector palette or some other part of your app that you want to use AppKit, you can. You can't blend in the same view hierarchy. Uh, both those technologies they run in the same process today, which is different. As right. I know, some people who've done some teardowns of last year's technology, they ran in. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, they, uh, <laughs> uh, now, now it's one process model so it's much, much tighter integration but still it's, it's not a blended view hierarchy but if right. you different parts of your app you could, you could write them as
1: but well. in, in loose terms similar to in the old days when you could have a Cocoa app that called out the carbon APIs in a certain way or... I'm
2: not comfortable with that analogy <laughs> <laughs>
1: Design-wise, I'm really happy to see some color coming back into the interface, sidebar items with uh, color. I, you know, I know design trends, are, like any kind of fashion, they all go through cycles, but I feel like the monochrome, over-reliance on a monochrome look is, just kind of got old. I, I don't know. There's a, there's a cheerfulness to, to, yeah. to all of the OSs that I think came out on Monday that I, I appreciate.
2: Oh, Good. Yeah, I think there's a tension between deference to the main content of the window, and uh, and and that that kind of cheerfulness that you describe. And in the case of these uh, of of the media apps, the content in the main part of the window is itself uh, super commanding, and so actually having. Uh, a colorful sidebar doesn't really compete. The finder is a little bit of a different case, right, where the main content of the window, if you have a list view or something, you know, you can really have your attention drawn uh, to a bright sidebar versus the content in the window. And so, uh, but, but you're right, this is something where I think our, our experience and our tastes evolve over time.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like there's a nice, uh, a growing visual symbiosis between iOS and macOS. And I know that, you know, uh, they haven't they've, they've looked related for a while but there's something about this year's releases that to me feels a little bit more coherent and maybe I'm reading into a little bit too much with things like Catalyst and knowing that the podcast app literally shares source code with the iOS version uh, but if they feel like they're of a family in a way that more, even more than ever
2: yeah, and I think that's, you know, when we first released the, uh, the first set of apps that used the Catalyst technology last year, some of the concerns that were voiced by members of the Mac community, such as yourselves, <laughs> uh, placed a, a certain amount on the technology that was really some design decisions we'd made. So, so there's certainly some things that were underlying technology behaviors, but there were other just pure design choices about, you know, sizes of items in the sidebar and wh- where was the search field and all of those kinds of things that that were you know, different design teams kind of pushing the bounds of w- w- what is the right future for a media-oriented design on the Mac. Uh, and some people said, oh, my gosh, there's this new app. It has this new design. Oh, and it's built during, using this technology. That must be a byproduct of the technology. Right. In fact, those, those were design uh, decisions. And I think we're finding our balance now, uh, pulling back in a couple areas there. And, and the underlying technology is uh, is much refined now this year. So.
1: Yeah. And they really are... Um True Mac apps. Uh, you are you don't have to distribute them through the Mac app store. The same rules as
2: I've yeah, yeah. an implementation choice. choice. Which which frameworks you want to use to build your app is uh, is is really just an implementation detail as far as, as far as the platform's concerned. If you want a
1: note, I, I I believe it was you, but see I think what I think you scared people on stage Monday. Because you, you introduced Capcom. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said, we look forward to seeing your great apps in the Mac App Store. And I, I feel like... We always got to say that stuff. I
2: know, right. <laughs> <laughs> and we do. We look forward to seeing your great apps in the Mac But the paranoid
1: among us think, oh, God, they're going to make us go through the Mac App Store. Don't, uh, but that's not the case. No, yeah, come on, trust us, geez. <laughs> Who's <Where's> this? <laughs> uh, another really cool... I, I, just and, and seeing it in person and playing with it, it, is, it, it just seems impossibly uh, low-latency Is sidecar. This is the new feature where you can go up to your display menu on your Mac, and if you have an iPad tied to your iCloud account... Mm-hmm. It'll be show up as a target, and you can select it. The iPad will spring to life and show up as a second display on your Mac, uh, wired or wirelessly, yeah. with extremely low latency. And it lets you use the pencil as an input in any Mac app that already supports the longstanding tablet. Uh, Drawing tablet, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, We,
0: it's, we agree it's awesome <laughs> yeah. no argument here
1: <laughs> there's some interesting decisions there where on the sidecar interface at the bottom what you get is uh, a virtual um, the, the same buttons you would get if you were use, getting a touch bar right. even if you're running it on a Mac without a touch bar
2: that's right
1: Right. So whatever your app would have on the touch bar, you have all along the bottom of of the iPad app, of the iPad for Sidecar, and then on the left side you have buttons you can use for the, like, command, control, option, shift, so that you can, if you, you know, shift to select multiple items, just hold it with your thumb, drag a couple things, select, 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 and you're doing this. Yep. But the main area of the screen is not a touchscreen. Yeah. It is, it takes pencil input, and you can use your mouse or your trackpad and move the mouse over, but you really are using it as as a Mac display, not as a touch Mac.
2: Yeah, completely. I mean, we don't think you, you take an arbitrary Mac user interface with uh, feature sizes and so forth that were optimized for really precise input like a mouse and throw it on a touchscreen that you're going to get a great experience there. So we're, we're making clear that your your Mac app is to be used like a Mac, Mac app. And yeah, if you have a pencil, that's a really precise instrument, and, and you can use that. And, and we were really, uh, I mean, it, was, it worked out super well that we have so many apps, including a lot of pro apps, that do take advantage of the touch bar to provide the set of controls they thought were really useful for a given context in the app. That we could put, you know, right, that same implementation that the app has done, we could channel uh, right onto your sidecar display. And, you know, this is on systems like uh, iMacs and the new Mac Pro, where, yeah, you don't have a touch bar, but you take advantage of the developer's work there in a, in a context that makes a ton of sense. It works really well.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really very impressive, speed-wise. Um, I like it. A huge feature to me, and it just is near and dear to my heart, is the, on the accessibility angle, the... Uh, voice we, and um, Apple has done such a great job with accessibility for as long as I can remember, and the current version of Mac OS and iOS lead the industry in accessibility in more ways than we even have time to delineate. but the new voice control stuff <laughs> uh, i i wasn 't at the state of the union i was I was Busy with with other meetings, um, but I heard that there were on stage demos of the voice controls yeah. live in the State of the Union, and yeah.
2: they they taunted the demo go- gods and survived. <laughs> well, there was. I mean, the, the stage environment is a tough one for voice with reverb and you know, speakers and all of that. And so there was one word. I think it was like send or something that was was really tough on uh, uh, on the mics there. Uh, but it works. It works phenomenally well and. Uh, I can say we, you know, a uh, few months ago, we had uh, a com meeting for uh, my the the whole software organization, and uh, someone came out to to demonstrate uh, the use of voice control. And you know, I'm I'm sort of back nice. backstage, ready to ready to come back out. And I mean, it's uh, they're friggin' tears in my eyes. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one of those technologies you you just see it used, and not only are you just Amazed by uh, by it, but also just realizing what it can mean to so many people, yep. uh, and and uh, thinking about the uh, the passion that went into the the members of the accessibility team and and the Siri team and everyone who who pulled that together. It's it's uh, it's just uh, awesome. I mean, it's uh, this this is some of the most touching things uh, we do, and so uh, yeah, I was so I was so happy we were able to really properly show it to the rest of the world in a, in a way that I think conveyed uh, how much it can mean.
1: Yeah, and, and the, you know, the movie featured a, a, a gentleman who obviously has some motor skill deficiencies right. um, or limits, however you want to say it. But uh, my understanding is he, he actually, it wasn't just that you made a movie of him using it, like he was actually somebody who you guys consulted with and, yeah. and studied and took feedback from and he'd say, yeah, but it would be better if this, and it's like, oh yeah, we could we, all right, absolutely
2: yeah, and and you know members of our accessibility team, uh, both on the the core you know engineering and uh, QA team uh, and usability team. Um, have themselves some, uh, a wide range of abilities, and so uh, you know we're li- we're living this in house right. as well, right. uh, and so these technologies really impact people at Apple who are literally working on the project. Uh, one of the demos I saw
1: was of it was on the Mac, and and part of the great thing about this accessibility story with voice control is it it's on iOS. It is on iOS yeah. too, and I think that's great, and it, and it fits in with this theme I'm trying to have. A recurring theme here, <laughs> but that I feel like that's this is one of those things where I, even dark mode, dark mode was a last year on the Mac. Now it's this year on iOS. This accessibility thing here it is. It's mm-hmm. they're both on the same day, and yeah. it's clearly the same. Te- you know, the same team is making it because you do it the same way. Right? Right. So for however different Mac and iOS input is using a mouse and keyboard or using a touchscreen, this accessibility stuff is the same. And so developers who who can do it on the one platform can transfer that expertise to the other platform and, and be accessible there the same way.
2: That's right. And, and you'd be, I mean, this theme, you're, you're um, not so subtly uh, setting as a subtext for us all. Uh, it is... Uh, <laughs> Certainly, I mean, if you if you look at the beginnings of, of iOS at, at the time the the iPhone was uh, was launched, I mean, getting anything like the the core components of Mac OS to run on that hardware, I mean, it was it was strip everything out you could, minimize and build, um, you know, really optimized pieces to just do uh, what was essential for the phone. But over time, uh, the capabilities of iOS hardware have have absolutely become. PC class in many ways. And so over time, and this has been a many, many year trend, uh, we've been able to share more and more and more common technology. And that meant both taking some of those great ideas from iOS, bringing them to underlying frameworks of the Mac, but taking some of the power of Mac capabilities, putting them in the underpinnings. And then as you move as high as Catalyst, you see you know, incredible levels of sharing between these frameworks. And and that's mirrored what's happened in our organization. So, you know, we have one accessibility team and and one team working on uh, voice recognition and these technologies. And so now when we build something like this, we can do one really great focused version and and bring it to both platforms. There there are cases like dark mode where... All, All three platforms. (laughs) <laughs> You're right.
3: You're right. Thank you,
2: Josh. Very helpful. <laughs> this is why we have you. here. <laughs> no. No. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so we're we're able to to share all this uh, all, all this technology, uh, and and it's it's great to then have an organization that builds something like that and, and can uh, can do that. But when it comes to something like dark mode on Mojave. Um, that was a case where having, uh, there are a lot of apps that have dis- are distinct to Mojave and distinct yes. to iOS, and being able to have one team, one OS, blaze the trail, develop a lot of the patterns and technologies, UI style, et cetera, uh, and then be able to just follow on with what, what worked on iOS was, was a great uh, strategy for us this time. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: I saw a great demo of somebody using the voice control in the Maps app on a Mac, and they turn on a grid, and then they're showing a map, and they said, "You know, grid sixteen, zoom." And then it zooms, and then you re- and then it's grid twenty-three, zoom. And all I could think of was Blade, Blade Runner. Run. <laughs> it is <laughs> like I what I, I want. I want to be able to set enhance as a synonym yeah. for zoom. <laughs> It, and it's working... If anything, it's working faster than Blade Runner because Blade <laughs> okay. Runner kind of made they it didn't like... you have an A12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so slow because they wanted you to see how cool it was. And instead, it's like the map is zooming up. I was like, this is amazing. It's You know, I was a kid and I thought, man, I hope I live to see something like this. <laughs> Your life is complete now. We live an interesting time. <laughs> yeah. Uh... uh this uh, Swift UI is. Yeah. P- <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> you, <Josh. laughs> now,
2: now is Jaws, a- going into the show. Jaws wasn't sure you guys were going to like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wasn't sure it was right to end the show,
1: but boy, it did pretty well. <laughs> now is as good a time as any to talk about it. Uh, after the Mac stuff I had, but it—it it, one of the fascinating things about it is it's—it uh, goes to four platforms because it's uh, Mac. It is iPad. It's all, five TV, yeah, five, all yeah, of them, everyone, TV, watch, iPad, phone, and, and the first truly native framework for the watch. Right, which is a huge deal. Uh, yeah. God bless WatchKit, but...
2: <laughs> we'll need to do one of those things with a coffin, I think.
3: Very <laughs> <laughs> <Really small laughs> little, Very little coffin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where's molts when you need them?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but this... So it being a native framework for watchOS, are you guys already using it for watch
2: apps that you are making? Yeah. Like some of the new ones? Like... Uh, calculator would be a good example. Okay. There, are actually several on the system. I think we rewrote an app or two, and then uh, the new things. I think we, we generally did them in uh, which, which you know that's that's a trailblazing team because uh, it, it was certainly uh, a moving target. While while we have I mean, been working on it for years, but you know as you get late in the game, uh, we 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 start doing a lot of a lot of things to make it just right. And that team was uh, agile in adapting to the <laughs> framework. <laughs>
1: One thing I've heard from my friends who are developers f- for years is that, from the outside, it's third-party developers, it, sh- it it shows which APIs you guys are using yourselves and which ones you're not. And maybe because developers like to complain, so maybe it's just one pet framework that's a little weak or something. But that's it- it's something developers talk about. And with the watch OS the technical limitations of the original Apple Watch, and even, you know, it's certainly gotten the hardware's improved dramatically in just five years. Um, It's understandable why WatchKit was not really a native framework, and that you guys were writing native apps at a technical level, but I think that in terms of really letting the platform blossom, having you guys using the same thing that the developers get to use is going to really enable third-party watches apps to to really become something. I think that's
2: right. That's right. I mean, there's, there's nothing like the internal feedback loop of your own engineering teams as you're developing the framework saying, this isn't working for me, this doesn't perform well, I can't achieve what I need to achieve. Having that strong voice in, in the process and having... Any limitations of anything that we're in the process of building stand in the way of an internal, uh, a strong internal voice. Uh, it makes the frameworks better, and uh, that, that certainly is what we aspire to do. Um, there there have been a few cases in our history where that, that hasn't been it, and I, I think you're right to observe that uh, we do our best work when it's work we we live on.
0: And, and for watch, you got watch independent apps now. You got the app right. store on your
1: on right. your watch. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, which definitely, you know, and again, it's understandable, you know, and and it's, you know, the analogy was even made on stage to iPods and even the early iPhone that you, you know, I remember when I got my first iPhone and you took it out of the box and then you'd have to hook it up to iTunes Mm -hmm. and wait for (laughs) AT&T that night to (laughs) activate your phone. And I sat there all night long waiting for this beautiful device to (laughs) to say something other than waiting for activation, which went through my Mac, which, you know. But you under, it's bootstrapping, right? That's right. Right? You've, you know, uh, and now the watch is taking those same steps where now you've got your own app store. I looked at the app store, and the app, I know it's, it sounded a little crazy, you know, uh, it, you know but it, it, it works.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It does.
1: Uh, the other thing <laughs> that I that hope w- so. I, <laughs> no, but is, I mean... It's the goal. if we let that on stage. <laughs> it's the goal, yeah. I, I mean, it works.
0: <laughs> it's high praise, John. It's high
1: yeah. praise. <laughs> <laughs> There's another cool feature. I don't think this made it into the keynote. Uh, I guess I'm skipping all over the place here because I want to go back to Swift UI. But the other cool thing in the watch that I saw was that now there's a Safari view. And again, you think, what? But it, <laughs> it goes right to reader mode and just gives you a plain text version yeah. of a website right on your watch, which is really kind of useful. Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I, and... I mean, this, this wouldn't this, read the New Yorker that way. Yeah, but, yeah. That's, no, no. But, I mean, the, the Safari team has, has been, uh, you know, really creative and pushing on this, uh, actually for a couple of years, um, different contexts in which we can apply their technologies. And, and, and things that we built for other reasons, like reader mode, suddenly that opens doors to experiences that make sense on the watch. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's, it can be really useful for a lot of scenarios. All right. So is there
1: something technical about Swift UI that makes it like more efficient or something that justifies it being open to developers to write native apps? Or is it just sort of, this is the future. We're really proud of this work. We don't want to have baggage. Let's just start with this new thing with our first native framework for developers.
2: Uh, I, I, I would say, actually, there's a blend of that. The fact that SwiftUI is a fundamentally declarative way of writing UI puts the underlying framework in much better control over the how. You, know, you specify the what you want, and the framework does a ton to figure out how that happens. It orchestrates all the animations for you. So when it comes to the efficiency of what we can do, um, it gives us a, a, a lot more knobs to deliver a great experience than uh, if you just have a uh, pure UI kit. Uh, and, and then it, there 's also that uh, it was able to give us a context to just lay out the the pieces of a UI framework that made sense on the watch rather than the, the, there 's quite a bit of UI kit which under the hood is what we were using sort of an adapted version of on the on the watch uh, that really weren 't appropriate to be public and, uh, and and this lets us set like this this beautiful uh, green field for it so I, I think both those factors conspired and then you know the the, the fact is also that when we first engineered WatchKit. The the hardware of the the watch, um, the efficiency of the processor in the watch, you know, the nature of what you could we could computationally even allow to get you through the day um, was was extremely constrained. And so WatchKit was appropriately conservative for us to not create an interface where almost certainly an app that was even just mildly misbehaved could mean you know it's noon and. You know, your watch isn't working anymore. Right. Uh, and the hardware has come a long, long way. And that you know, always, is, as the hardware becomes more capable, that opens up all kinds of doors for us on the software side and to right. put more tools in the hands of developers. So,
1: Swift UI feels like the sort of thing that it, in years past, or maybe if the, just everything hadn't come together and there was fewer other things to announce, like if the Mac Pro hadn't been ready yet or if the Mac Pro had been ready six months ago and had already been out, and there was more room in the keynote it just feels like swift ui even in the keynote not even going to state of the union and really getting into the tech that you can show at the state of the union really could have taken up more time this feels like such a big deal to me like i, I believe your introduction you said this that the swift ui you were talking about when yeah. you said these sort of transformations in the way developers work only come about every Twenty years, twenty 30 years. Truly, thirty years.
2: Truly generational. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, C, C was you know sort of late late sixties, early seventies. Objective C was the eighties, and you know a lot of us are, are writing code in in a language that was was created in the eighties. And uh, those, those technologies, the, the arc is extremely long because you, build, you end up building frameworks uh, that take advantage of, of the uh, paradigms that those uh, languages allow. Uh, you build a whole ecosystem of, of uh, technologies that go around it, and, and they have incredible staying power. Um, and so for us, making a decision to go down the road we went down with Swift... This, this wasn't a little trivial, hey, here's a little thing on, on the side. This, is, this has been a long term strategy for us. And the implications are sure, you introduce a new language, and initially, you want to make sure it fits in with what's there. Over time, you want to take advantage of it to be everything it can be. Yeah. And uh, Swift UI gave us, uh, is really that, that step in that evolution. I mean, we, we do see the future of Swift and the set of frameworks that will evolve uh, based on the strengths of Swift to be a generational kind of um, uh, development for us, uh, and you know, to have the confluence of some, some great ideas about uh, how to build a declarative UI framework, you know, some of which have uh, roots even going back as far as, as things we did at Next many, many, many years ago, to having control of a language so you could actually do a, a, an extremely concise and expressive declarative syntax for expressing these things to having awesome con- you know control of the developer tools so that you can have an interactive experience i mean it takes all of that coming together to create i think what has uh, all of us excited about swift ui <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, I mentioned earlier talking about icons that fashion trends change over yeah. years, but other development trends change to, You know, like when, when Mac OS X was being birthed after the next reunification in the late '90s, the whole industry <laughs> the whole industry caught like a mania for XML, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and you know, people don't. In hindsight, people are like, you know, that's ugly.
3: Right. right. Yeah,
1: and, and you know, and there's other things over the years. You know, and, and when computers were much slower in the '80s, there was a reason to use binary formats for files that maybe you, you shouldn't have. But I feel like we collectively have come back around to the beauty of plain text and the the, the readability of. Uh, I, I'm not a Swift programmer, but I can look at the examples of yeah. Swift UI and I see exactly what it says. It says, you know, dot color or color equals dot yeah. blue. and You know, it's, it's very, very readable and concise. The conciseness helps, too.
2: Yeah, and I, I view our APIs and the syntaxes of our language to be every bit the design exercise of a user interface, right? The, the way you're going to express yourself in, in code should be as, as refined and thought out as... Uh, anything else that you're going to interact with. And code is uh, read much more than it's written. Right. Uh, if you can express something concisely and clearly, the next person to look at it's going to understand it. It's easier for you to maintain and evolve. Um, but but doing that well requires not shoehorning a concept on a language that never anticipated it, but having the language and the concept co-evolve. And, and that's what we were able to achieve.
1: What, one of the fun things at the keynote is when there's something... The WWDC keynote in particular is when there's something that the developers get. As it was sometimes we call it the back of the room, right? And the back of the room erupts and the front of the room is just like, what? Oh, okay. And uh, one of the... Uh, oh, game, game controllers? <laughs> oh,
3: yeah! <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're jumping that, ahead That to here. me was the, was the hidden gem. It's like, wow, the back of the room loves it. <laughs>
2: Uh, I was backstage ready to come out, and I'm like, man, I hope that game controllers isn't what takes the day. <laughs> like, if, if I go out and you do Swift UI and they're like, well, not quite as much as connecting my old game controller.
1: Well, that was... And it was well-ordered, because it was... We have two... We have, we're, we're, at, we're, at, we're proud to announce we have two support for two very popular game controllers. and Everybody's like, hmm, game controllers. <laughs> and then the first one's Xbox... And people applauded, but then like the applause started rising already because they're like, wait, no. <laughs> what
2: could number two be?
1: <laughs> right. And then when they said PS4, the room truly erupted. <laughs> I mean no offense, no offense <laughs> to our friends at Microsoft, but it, it really seems like this is a PlayStation crowd. <laughs> yes. I think people were happy with both of them,
2: John. <laughs> both of our valued partners yes. were appreciated by yes. our audience. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, one last semi-technical question about SwiftUI yeah. is um, it. It sounds to me, from what I've read and what people have dug into it, is it is definitely way more significant. It's not a thin wrapper around UIKit and AppKit, right? Um, but it might, in some places, fall back that you know, and that the imp- more or less the implementation details of views. Are internal, and developers don't have to worry about it, just follow the API, and behind the scenes maybe it'll fall back to UIKit or AppKit, maybe it'll be something new that's implemented right in SwiftUI, don't worry about it, it's a black box.
2: That's right, because a lot of times you end up having to use views uh, in the past to achieve layout grouping and so forth, and then you're getting overhead you don't really need. Um, Other cases you have views that make a ton of sense from a control point of view, and so uh, Swift UI is able to make that choice in a way that uh, does the most efficient thing but gives you all the capability you need. And it, it certainly was a goal, um, a hard goal from the outset that uh, we know our developers have an investment in custom controls they've created. Uh, they want to be able to fit uh, build Swift UI around a control they have. They want to be able potentially to create a component in Swift UI that fits inside the context of an app that has uh, a traditional uh, app kit or UI kit view hierarchy. And so making those, those worlds completely uh, uh, interoperate uh, was, was critical. And that's going to make it really easy to adopt. And it also means all the frameworks. Uh, we've we've built and you've built become accessible in this world. So if you've gone through the the really excellent Swift SwiftUI uh, tutorials, that uh, yeah, isn't that I, I think that the doc team. I mean they uh, knocked it out of the park on this. Um, and if you go through that at one point they're like hey let's use a map like let's use MapKit." right there's no custom work that we did to integrate MapKit into swift ui but it's nearly effortless for you to take that existing you know massive investment in this ui kit control and incorporate it into uh, a swift ui app so I think that's going to be huge for everyone who, who wants to adopt the technology yeah.
1: The, Heck yeah. The other big, <laughs> the other big like back of the room applause moment was during the demo, when it was shown that you how easy it is to get it the UI you're working on running on an actual yeah. device. Right, yeah. Yeah and you just select the word gray and type B-L-U-E, and on the phone, the button changes from gray to blue. Yes. Like The back of the room erupted, and the front of them was like, what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course it changed to blue.
1: He typed blue. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right? Was I that obvious? <laughs> yeah,
1: <though>? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you had, to, you had to have experience going through the build, install... Launch cycle, and then you realize, you know, like, and especially in the earlier days of iOS development, when everything was a little slower, computers were slower, and Xcode was slower, and the transfer might have been a little slower, and the phones were slower, and then you're like, ah, shit, I was supposed to change the color to blue. I forgot.
2: (laughs) Right? One of uh, of my coworkers was saying, uh, she talked to her her mom and her mom and dad had sat down and, and watched, watched the keynote, and she's talking to her mom, and her mom says, there was this point when dad just kept yelling at the TV, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, is there, she's like, I'm not sure what was happening, but it, was, it really seemed to speak to him, and he was an engineer. So, uh, yes, there, uh, there, the, there are things that if, if you've, you've ever gone through the normal cycle, you realize that if you can iterate that fast, yeah. That you're just going to pursue more ideas, you're going to try more things, you're going to end. I mean, it's you're going to end up with a better result, right? You're going to be more creative, and and so accelerating that cycle is so important. And and that really did take the work between the compiler team, the IDE team, the whole the, the language, the way the frameworks work, to achieve what in the end should feel, oh yeah, it should work that way, right? right? But I gotta say, as we as we did. Um, Preview this for some members of the front of the room uh, (laughs) internally. Uh, I think there was a a degree as we're going through it, except for Jaws, of nodding. (laughs) Because they're, like like you said, they're looking at the code and they're going, I think for the first time I understand what looks like code. Uh, That was a good sign. Right.
1: I think I know how I could change that to red. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I can do that. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I'm so happy that this shipped uh, I was asked earlier today What is my favorite announcement so far I'm not even a developer I just, I just think it's very cool I can't wait to dig into it I think SwiftUI is, is my favorite software All right I really right. <laughs> uh, So tvOS uh, has multi-user support now Yep
0: At a new control center, which is how you tran- change uh, users.
1: Are there support for PlayStation game controls? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any other platforms that you think could use multi-users? <laughs> is the TV not enough for you,
0: John? Yeah,
2: jeez. None that I can think is of. TV's meant
0: for it, right? You sit in a family, you sit in a couch, you get different people who use that same TV come on it. Perfect.
2: Yeah. Everyone should buy their own devices. <laughs> One of <me.
1: laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think what other devices families might have in their living room that other people use, but I'm drawing a blank. No. Uh, me too. You, you can do
0: multi-user with iPad in education. Don't forget that. No. Yep. Its yeah, actually sure. it works great. I see Michael Chow
1: in the crowd cheering. <laughs> 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 uh, is it a coincidence? Is it a coincidental timing that this is the year where you support Xbox and PlayStation game controllers, and it's also the year when Apple Arcade is coming in the fall? It's probably. I mean, is it, you're saying a coincidence? Coincidental? It coincidental? Yeah. No,
3: I oh, think it no, makes a lot of sense. Time, yeah. yeah. Oh.
0: <laughs> These things don't happen on accident. <laughs> there are a lot of games there that are going to play great with a controller.
2: Yeah. And, I think and we, we, want to make sure that we have that heavily the by best saying Apple games. Arcade, and here's some new game yeah. controllers. Yeah. It was like we connected those two concepts. Yeah, yeah we tried our best.
0: <laughs> I mean,
2: that was in marketing. I,
0: I was going to say we're moving fast, but that's tip part. That's, uh, you know, uh, to that point, you know, we, right, I'm going to say a little bit, right. embarrassing. you know, to your point of we could spend longer on these things, we could spend longer on everything. Right? When we first put these keynotes together, they're about three hours, and there's another company in our neighborhood who tried that a couple times. It doesn't <laughs> go over well, right? So we try to keep it around 2.15, give or take, which we've run the last few years at, and we figure that's as long as we can go. So we run things down to the minute. So when we're creating slides, we have to figure out how many, roughly, slides can we create so we get in the ballpark of knowing how much time. So what our MarCom team has done a brilliant job of is they have mapped every presenter, over the years, and how many slides they can do a minute.
2: It's like a baseball card. It's like a it, so like,
0: so. I won't I won't out the slower people, but the fastest one by far. <laughs> but I give him a little I give him a little bit of grief because in his prime, Craig could do nine slides a minute. He slowed down to about seven slides. A minute. <laughs>
2: As he's getting a little older, but I think he still does a pretty good job. I feel like you guys have been holding me back lately. We get out of rehearsal, like, we did not see the image on the screen. You can't just yell a word and push next.
0: Yeah, actually, he does, I think we'd all agree, he does a brilliant job up there.
1: I don't know why I never asked this before. Do you guys click the slides yourselves? Like yes. I know, you always.
2: <laughs> That's that thing I'm right. doing. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to, right? right. I mean, it's, it's, it would be freaky to have someone else do it. Well,
0: that did happen in rehearsal at one point.
2: Oh, yeah. We had something where we're out there and then someone backstage so Tim, is Tim like, like what's what going on and... with my slides? They're moving yeah. forward. And
0: after rehearsal, Kevin Lynch admitted he was backstage playing
2: with the <laughs> What does this thing
0: do? <laughs> <laughs> they are live clickers. Yes. That's. Uh, all
1: right, let's go. iOS 13. Yes. Uh, what can you tell me about this th- this new packaging format that makes downloads smaller? Like, I kind of get gets that you could do something on the server side and, and take out resources. Like, if, if you're running on a 2X retina device, you could take out 3X resources or something and, and do something.
2: But it, that apps launch twice as fast? Yeah, isn't that crazy? That was quite a discovery for us. Um, <laughs> sometimes you just stumble into something and you take it. Uh, no. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, it... It, it turns out that that over over time as uh, in, in terms of the way the the uh, apps were encrypted and the way fairplay worked and so forth um, the the encryption became part of the critical path actually of of launching the apps I mean the processors are capable of ripping through the thing that that actually uh, it was a problem, and then there are other optimizations that, based on uh, what was visible to the system at certain points, we couldn't pre-bind certain things, uh, and so it, it actually cut out optimization opportunities. And so when we when we uh, really identified that opportunity we said, okay, well, we can actually come up with a better format that's going to eliminate that being on the critical path, it's going to enable all these pre-binding things, Um, and then we did a whole bunch of other work to optimize the Objective-C runtime, to optimize the linker, the dynamic linker, a bunch of other things, Uh, and you put it all together and, yeah, I mean, the cold launch, we've never had a win like this to to launch time uh, in a single single release, and so uh, it's It's fantastic. I can't wait for those videos where people do this. (laughs) Those videos. Like, that defines the performance of a phone, right? They're like, watch this. This is what you do all day. Uh, uh, Okay, we'll win one of those. (laughs) Which phone is faster? (laughs) Sorry, if you're in the audience, whoever that dude is.
0: Oh, wait, did they write about you? To- <laughs> you
1: know, I've, I, I've watched those videos. I've watched those videos, too, and, and then you watch them, and then the, sometimes you look over in the side, and they show you in the sidebar other videos from the same creator, and it's like, oh, my God, this guy makes one of these every week with the other yeah, phones. right. And it's like, oh, my God, once a week he's doing this thing. That's uh, his thing.
2: He's <laughs> the guy. Kind of like, will it blend? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, the Photos app clearly has a major upgrade for yeah. iOS yeah. this year I, I, It just has to be among the most used apps on the platform oh god the yeah. world i mean it 's no. and it's a real problem, exactly as pitched on stage. That you, all right, now you've had this phone for all these years, and you've maybe had other digital cameras, and you've put them in your same iCloud photo library, and you've got, I, I don't know, I've got like 28,000 items in my iCloud photo library, something like that. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Uh, how do you surface them, right? Yeah. How do you surface them? And I really, really think that this, uh, like, month, year, Interface to collecting these things is really seems smart, and and this is an instance where the uh, the big bet you guys have made on machine learning in recent years yeah. on device is really showing it, its effects because it's not you know the, it's not just collecting them by month that's easy it's this here's the best ones yeah. here's three that are almost exactly the same we'll just show one for now so that you're not seeing it all. And that's all through the machine learning.
2: Yeah. Uh, th- this is another one where we're in the meeting and uh, Justin, TD. This was this real photo library. Uh, Which was
1: awesome. I don't know if you guys noticed that in the keynote. Yeah, up. yeah. I mean, this well, is the
2: fact that Justin and
0: his entire family are gingers. hell. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: We
2: have no understudy for this. We've got nobody. (laughs) 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 But he has, you know, he obviously is a a member of the leader of the photos team. Takes a lot of pictures, but uh, and as a proud father, obviously takes an unbelievable number of photos. But he's there demoing it uh, and you know going through it, and he starts do you know paging back through the life of his his child going backwards, and we're all sitting here, like, trying to avoid looking at each other because we're tearing up. Uh, I mean, and, and I had, I, I, I literally had that experience uh, myself where I, I opened it, and I'm seeing, like, yeah. My children and I go back and back, and then I have two of them, and then there's one of them, and then there's my wife and I at the altar and I'm just like... <laughs> it, was, it was crazy uh, and and you just never have those experiences in this just sea of photos, um, but that you know the team has gotten so much uh, more advanced over the last several years in in not just saying what's yeah. a good photo, that's a piece of it. What's a good photo? What's, what's the arc of a, of, of, a, of a meaningful event for you and a story? Uh, and then looking at across big spans of time, what were big events that were important to you? I mean, under, intuiting all of that uh, is is an is an art and one that yes, if we were all to do that thing that maybe back in the old days with iPhoto, you'd go try to tag things and organize and build the albums like you might have done it. But now we're, we're taking so many more photos; it's just totally impractical. And and you get it for free. And then you know I, I think uh, like like many of us, you know I'm. My my wife must wonder when suddenly she gets these flurry of of iMessage photos from our past, right. you know, and our children coming at her. And it's because I'm using the app and I'm literally like rediscovering my photo <laughs> library and going, oh my god, this is so great and sharing. And it it has that it has that effect on you. And it's it's the toughest feature in some ways. I mean, I hope the demo came across, but it's in a way the toughest feature right. to really get across the meaning because you have to see it with your own photos because suddenly that all becomes, you're like, oh, my God, this is, yeah. this is it for me. You see someone else's photos, you're like, yeah. nice family, Justin. But other than that, it's like, <laughs> I don't know, but the emotional resonance of your own photos, it's Justin incredible. Justin did a brilliant job, too. and he yeah. did And it was touching because
0: Craig's exactly right. When you put your own photos in this is when you melt. But I thought that came across still in Justin's demo really well yeah. because, you know, I mean, we do spend so much of our time taking these pictures, and for years, people didn't look at them. Right, and we've given you more ways every year to expose these, including memories. Right, they come. You know, it's it's brilliant. So, yeah.
1: and, and it ties back to a question, a, a topic that you and I have talked about, it, maybe on this stage two years ago, maybe mm-hmm. back in San Francisco, but uh, probably more back in San Francisco because I think that was a little bit more, at at least from our perspective outside, where you guys really were committing to this machine learning yeah. and, and becoming best of industry at AI stuff and there's a strong sentiment held by many people out there that this on-device strategy is doomed to failure because there's other companies that do it all in the cloud, right. and theirs works, and so therefore the cloud is the only way to make it work. And, and you and Phil, when he's been here, I've asked this question. Do you, are you convinced that this on-device strategy let the billion iPhones out there do this machine learning in a distributed fashion on all of this amazing hardware that's out there being used. You committed to it, and you. Oh, totally. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and in fact, if you watch recent events from our uh, the other guys, uh, you'd be surprised how many times they've started to say on-device machine learning. Yeah. I mean, they're they're actually uh, uh, seeing the light a little bit on that topic. Um, But I think they're disadvantaged in the sense that part of what makes this possible is building great hardware and having a consistent baseline of great hardware that's capable of this and you look and the at the integration of that hardware and the integration the of the hardware and the software because if you have to try to pull this yeah. off over this you know random uh, fleet of different devices of different capabilities it's really tough to provide a decent experience uh, and you look at the the E in in the most recent iPhones it's it's astounding what you have to work with there and how they can uh, just the, the the what they can do with processing uh, photos on device, uh, even doing the kind of voice synthesis that you saw uh, with the neural TTS, we can do that on the A and E. Uh, it's uh, it's just incredible. Where you're actually generating literally with, through it through a network, every sample in the waveform of the voice is being. You know, it sort of uh, hallucinated in real time out of the network, uh, and it's yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. So yeah, uh, this stuff has legs. Yeah, and it really is starting
1: to show, and yeah. and you're starting to see it in other places too, like in the sharing sheets, where the sharing sheets now have yeah. uh, recommended guesses as to who you might want to send this to and how and how you want to send it.
2: Right, yeah, and we want right. to make that clear, but you know, maybe, maybe right. you often, with this kind of content, you email it to this person, you iMessage it to this person, you WeChat it uh, to right. this person, um, and, and that combination is you know, one, one tap, and uh, that, makes, that makes a huge difference just in terms of uh, your desire to think like, hey, I'm going to do this because this yeah. is going to be fast and easy, uh, and it turns out we can do a really great job figuring out where you're going to share with. Yeah and in some ways being local has uh, advantages where the iOS
1: knows which apps you're using, you know, the operating system on your device knows that you use WeChat and right right yeah. the cloud doesn't know what you do on your
2: phone. Yeah, and, and honestly having your device know you is cool. Having some cloud person know you is creepy. <laughs>
1: Uh, iPad OS. We have a new OS. <laughs> <laughs> Michael goes crazy, starting to wave out there. Tell, tell me, tell me the thinking. Why, ne- why change the name to iPad OS now? What, what's, what, what pushed it over the edge in 2019?
2: Over, yeah, the, and I'll say. Kind I think the th- this, metaphor, this I one. Think. You know, even though it's a marketing thing, I think engineering. <laughs> I mean, marketing gets to name things at Apple. But engineering uh, felt very strongly on this one uh, because uh, we have... I mean, we've been on this trajectory for the iPad uh, from the outset, co-evolving yeah. with this incredibly... Uh, hardware that's been getting incredibly more and more advanced over time and has been enabling more and more software experiences. And so as we To that been... point,
0: our worst nightmare was it's a
2: big iPod Touch. Right. Right. That,
0: that was never... The iPad experience.
2: No, and, and no. in fact, you know, from a UI design perspective, yeah. the, the very first iPad had these incredibly distinct experiences visually and taking yeah. advantage of the canvas yeah. uh, at the time. But as as the experience went on and we started... Saying, well, how do you how do you want to interact? What do you want to do with a device that has these kinds of characteristics? How are you? Uh, uh, what's the right kind of interaction model? Uh, and and things like split view and slide over and drag and drop and Apple Pencil started to to, to be a factor. And then you start to see uh, Apple and third party developers really start to take advantage of that and tailor the experience. Well, when when we think about a Platform. When you think about a name, what makes what makes TVOS TVOS? I mean, under the hoods, there's a lot of iOS in there. Why don't we call that like iOS for TVs or, or something like that? Well, because it defines an experience, right? TVOS means there's a 10 foot experience. WatchOS means it's an experience optimized for your wrist. iPadOS has evolved to have an experience that has its own distinct nature, to the point that. It, it deserved to be uh, recognized in that way, and when you put some of the next set of changes uh, that, you know, along the path that we are, are steadily on, I, we felt like we, we just crossed to the point where it was just silly to no longer say, this is its own thing. Yeah. Sure, technically it shares all these underpinnings, but fundamentally we're communicating to users. There's a there's a distinctive experience here, and we're communicating to developers. Like if you build an iPad app, you should support. If you're a document-based app, you should support multiple windows. You should support drag and drop. That's what it means to be a great iPad OS app.
0: Well, and I think it was a good reminder. At least a lot of the coverage that I... <clears throat> a lot of the coverage today uh, was very positive on iPad OS, and a reminder that. The other guy's tablet experience really isn't a tablet experience, right? It was, it was nothing but big phone experience, and that's a huge advantage for iPad. It is, it is a real experience that is very distinct
1: and unlike anything in the industry. And it, what's, what struck me from a lot of the demos, uh, not just like notes and mail, but even like uh, the Microsoft Office iPad apps, yeah. is that two up is sort of a magic number, You know, like, one, you know, like, the iPhone has always been a single-screen device. You launch an app, it gets the whole screen, and the iPad started that way and has sort of evolved with more multitasking screen arrangements. But two, is sort of a magic number, like, the old version, the new version. You want them side by side, you know, and... You know, like, so it hasn't evolved in a way. It's not, it hasn't aped to the Mac and you can just hit command N 10 times and make 10 text edit windows. <laughs> right. Not appropriate for the iPad experience and the precision of the control. But having two up is, it just seems like a huge breakthrough for a lot of use cases. With oh, it a slide it over totally, when you need something to slide Yeah, on. it
2: totally is. And then, yeah, you want to get at that one extra yeah. thing for yeah. quick moments, you have slide over. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for, for many of us, uh, really in a very organic way, iPad has become it's taken more and more of our time, and and mm-hmm. you should have every again every device by every one of them, <laughs> and use them for all the right jobs. But <laughs> but but iPad is just it's it's such uh it's such a great combination of of characteristics for so many activities that uh I, and I think things like split view and slide over make a big difference. I try, I
1: try not to make the mistake of ever telling an engineer, this should be easy, <laughs> you know, with this idea, mm. right? It's
0: just typing. I say it all the time. All right. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now but. I see SwiftUI, it's not even typing. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but that said, USB drives and SD card support <laughs> finally? Yeah, yeah. But I think there's more to this than just putting a USB stack in in the the OS.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, we... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There was. Uh, (laughs) You're right. Um, We, from a security architecture point of view, uh, we did not want to have file system drivers running in the kernel, communicating with external media that could be potentially tampered with. Uh, and that's what you're dealing with when you're talking about plugging in external media into into a device like the iPad. And so, getting uh, all of all of our file systems uh, to be uh, isolated from the kernel, to, and, and and we didn't want to just support, um, you know, the MS DOS file system, or right? Something, right? Uh, so we wanted APFS support. The whole the whole thing, getting all those file systems in, in a place where they fit with the iOS security architecture. Um, and, and doing the same for SMB and so forth. It was a real, uh, real hardcore engineering effort. And uh, and so we, we didn't want to launch it until we could have the complete story and have it uh, secure in the way that people expect from iOS. And
1: I'm excited about the fonts. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I... I I mentioned this on my show recently, but I, I think there's a similar angle there on the security front, which is, and, and one part of me wants to say, oh my god, this iPad is so old and it's so beautiful, and I can't believe I can't install custom fonts easily yet. But there is a security angle there because modern fonts, you know, that, that type, you know, open, open what's the format, open type, open type. and true type, they're, they're software programs. Yeah. And um, I, I'm sure that's part of the thinking of, of why this was considered for many years before we've had this.
2: Well, having them, uh, certainly uh, you're right that as an attack surface, uh, fonts are are something that has been exploited over time and one where we put a a bunch of effort into hardening. Uh, But the other factor is being able to have them uh, go through the app store, meaning that those fonts aren't something that uh, are going to be coming at you willy-nilly is uh, very helpful in, in this architecture as well. So um, but I, I think this, this was a matter of um, something that uh, we could have done uh, in the past. It wasn't that suddenly the stars uh, aligned from a possibility point of view, but from a priority point of view, iPads become more and more device where you're going to be doing those kinds right. of things, and you're going to want that kind of capability. You know, when you, when you put together things like all the capabilities with files um, all the kinds of more uh, creation-oriented apps that have grown up in that uh, around iPad, uh, it became a, uh, I, I think, became a necessity. Something we felt we really needed on the platform. Yeah, it seems like uh, again the keynote was like we're
1: moving, we're moving. But it seems to me, from getting a little bit of hands-on time with it, that the uh, I don't know if it was completely rewritten, but seriously rethought text selection and moving the insertion point and when it's going slow, you're going character by character and you can drag over on the, you know, like off the margin and it just goes down to the end of lines and it just has so many more useful things and you don't need a magnifying glass anymore and you can select, like, that seems like that was a big deal and it sort of feels like something that iOS never really got right before like text selection and manipulating a text selection always has felt a little too, more fiddly than it ought to be, and I have no, you know, had no idea how to fix it, but it just felt a little fiddly
2: no we, we agree uh, I, I think it is it is one of those areas that in the past you felt like this is harder than doing it on a Mac, right? That I'm using an iPad and I'm feeling like, gosh, I just want to cut and paste something, and and this is much harder. And I think, you know, when we first introduced text selection and copy-paste and and undo on uh, iPhone, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, part of it was just, it was extremely, uh, let's teach you. Uh, how to do this in a really kind of overt de- demonstrative way you 're going to put your finger down tap you 're going to get a big magnifying glass okay, we all get what 's going on here i mean it's there it was almost an instructional element to the interface, but it was also very heavy yeah. um, and so getting to the right solution here i 'll tell you it was uh, it 's been something we have taken runs at for multiple years and come back and felt like we don 't yet have it right. you know and those are things where you don 't just Throw it against the wall. I mean, you do internally. You throw it against the wall, but you know, externally, we wanted to get get it right, and it took a lot of uh, you know careful craftsmanship to get it right. You know, you kind of have this problem where okay, I'm going to tap on it, so my finger's now covering the evidence of the thing that I did. Where does the cursor go if it hops up above the finger? Then it's not where I thought it was. If if it's under the finger and then I try to move down well I never see it and, and so if you start to study the subtleties of what we had to do to make it feel like oh it works like you'd expect right. it actually the mechanics are, are you know pretty, pretty tough uh, but I think, I think we got it
1: I, and part of that oh this might be easier if I go to my Mac like cut copy paste is one of those things where I'm sure every single person in this room do cut copy paste without thinking about what yeah. their fingers are doing you just learn to do it and it the 3 finger gestures feel like they, they're going to get like that. If you use your iPad, you're going to just pick that up, and you're going to start like...
0: Like you're picking up the tablet. Yeah.
1: and are, But my concern, I'm wondering if you're worried. My concern is by being three-fingered gestures, do you, are you worried that it's a discoverability problem? the that, that, how are people going to know that they can do
2: these things very easily? It, it might be, and that, and, but that's why we always provide... I mean, I think Command-C, you know, heck, I mean, when I send emails, right, it's like Command-Shift-D, right? right, right. I, I, don't, I don't think everyone in my family does Command-Shift-D, no. but I do it a 1,000 times a day. Um, and so uh, the it's, it's okay. Part of what we've given ourselves permission to do over time is to say the iPad experience has to be you know the experience that a young child or a first time elderly computer user can walk up to and understand not get themselves in trouble but at the same time there can be depth to the platform that you can discover and you can become a pro and and really accelerate your work and so it's the iPad is perfectly usable to do cut copy paste in the traditional way, you know, tap on it, up comes a call-out bar, tap copy. And we're totally fine with many users doing that, just like we're fine with people going up to the edit menu and clicking, you know, and pulling down and doing copy. but just like keyboard accelerators, these gestures yeah. will become, I think, just complete muscle memory for yeah. many of us, and, uh, and will accelerate what we do. Yeah, just a serious reduction in mental friction because you're just doing your thing and you're not thinking about it. Yeah, and it's funny. you know, We, we tried many different kinds of gestures, and some of them on paper seem like, oh, well, this is going to be great. And it's interesting that just how, in your mind, it became this idea of, I'm almost picking something up to copy and putting it down to paste we found that people could learn it and perform it much more reliably than a bunch of other gestures. And so, funny how the brain works. Uh,
1: all right, we're getting close to the end, so we've got to enter the speed round. Pencil. Latency support on the iPad Pro has gone from 20 milliseconds to 9 milliseconds. That seems crazy to me in a software update. That sounds to me like the pitch from the next iPad Pro, you know, that it's a right. hardware thing. Like, that's, that's a huge reduction. That's yeah. crazy.
2: Well, so there's a piece of it that is optimization uh, and, you know, just a- a scheduling uh, the uh, True Motion display, getting in at exactly the right moment to get the draw commands in and recognize the input and so forth. And part of it is prediction, and it turns out that, you know, the human hand... Can only accelerate at a certain part. If you're going to start to turn, you're going to sense the you know second derivative of motion is going to uh, you know so you can you can actually uh, run run the math on that. And in fact, we, we had one part where we turned the prediction up. So instead of trying to guess where you were going to be, it, it we, we pushed it way ahead. Huh. You know, so it would actually predict before it would be running ahead of your pencil. And and if you pushed it far enough, you could just put the pencil down and would just write your whole message. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very good. It's negative latency. It's that's next release. So you, got, you keep that amongst us, but that's where it's going.
1: Uh, <laughs> if you're our competitors at this point, ignore everything you heard. Yes. <laughs> uh, AR kit had a, a significant amount of time in the demo. And ARKit 2 is like a huge upgrade over ARKit 1. And ARKit 3, one year later, is all of a sudden occluding people live <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> on the device. That's a pretty nice applause from the AR developers it, out there. It, and I've played with it, it, and it is uncanny.
2: It is yeah. really, really crazy. Uh, and that's machine learning. I mean, the, yeah. the, really, the techniques in order to figure out what 's a person where 's the person? How, what are these pixels or people pixels is is a task actually that amazingly. Uh, with the right algorithms and the right training uh, we can do and what's what's incredible is you can you know we had some things where we'd like color you know color the hand or or color the color of the person and you sort of get it when you'd you know a person would walk out in front and they'd figure out where the person was. But when you go like this and it you get the tip of your shoe and it goes, that's part of a person. Yeah. You stick a finger in, like it, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible uh, how it can recognize people parts. And, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> Don't not, push not it all too far, don't push it too far. <laughs> uh, the training set had boundaries. You, you know you, what you've caused. <laughs> a lot of testing, <laughs> a lot of testing. <laughs> all right, Craig, I need you I'm sorry. <laughs> Damage control. Where's
1: <laughs> I need you to explain to me the difference between AR kit and reality kit.
2: Yeah, yeah, they're 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 quite distinct. So so RealityKit is a full AR-oriented 3D rendering engine. So and it's not just a rendering engine, uh it's a physics engine, it does uh it's an animation engine. Right. So it's 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 uh and it's actually it was designed from the outset to be focused on AR. So the the objective of its rendering techniques are about making things look real. And part of that are things like you know, a perfectly rendered object thats not uh, that doesn't have the same noise characteristics as what's coming off the camera stands out, right? If you move and some things are blurring because they're real and the uh, AR object looks strangely uh, fixed there, uh, then it doesn't look real. And so we did things like motion blur and noise as part of the rendering. ARKit is the thing that's providing... Uh, understanding of the world, the planes in the world doing uh, VIO, so understanding between the accelerometers and te- uh, tracking uh, through the camera textures on the ground and stuff to understand what the geometry of the world is so that a 3D engine like right. Reality Kit can go render objects in right. there. And the two of them are super tightly integrated because some of what ARKit is perceiving about, for instance, uh, ambient light and understanding that, oh, the way you should be lighting the object that you're rendering should take into account yeah. all these factors to make it fit in the real world. Um, so the two are really complementary in that way. And then Reality Composer is a 3D uh, creation environment that's kind of, it's, it's sort of interface builder and keynote in 3D. So you can lay out all yeah. your objects, but then you can also in a keynote sort of fashion, easily assign behaviors and animations to them. Um, so it makes it very accessible.
1: I, I, the demo I saw of Reality Composer, again, that, talk about an app that got short shrift in the keynote. I mean, this app is amazing. <laughs> it is like, you know, we I, clearly a lot of work went into this uh, almost certainly years. I know you guys don't yeah. talk about how long, but this is like a full-fledged 3D development uh, creation app yeah. with all the features, you know, you know, if you've used any kind of creation app like Keynote or... Uh come on. <laughs> We're not sloppy drinkers here. Come on. Hold your hold your beer. Uh, it's a it's a just 1.0 is a really, really rich, deep app. And in a market where the competing apps like I am gonna Maya and right. these things are it, it, there's literally only like a few thousand people in the world who know how to use them because they're so opaque and require. It's like a, you know, airplane, find an airplane with yeah. all these buttons and stuff. You know, it's and, and this is this is a total Appley app that you can just say like, here, make a thing and make it gold and make it bounce and it's, right.
2: No, I mean the goal. You you got it. I mean the goal was to take this thing that was was pretty arcane and very 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 specialized skill and say how do we make this the kind of thing that makes this sophisticated 3D technology accessible to software engineers and and designers who aren't 3D experts but want to incorporate this kind of stuff in their apps? And so that was was the design goal from the outset. Uh, And... Uh, the team did incredible work there, uh, and and I think you know the ability also to do it on the Mac, but not just that, but to then transfer the to take the experience and do it on your iPad while you're actually experiencing AR, edit it in AR, have that sync back automatically to the Mac, so you're you're evolving your project like that. Uh, I think that's going to be. Uh, you know, ch- change, change, uh, not just make an existing thing easier, but it really even change who can do what yeah, exactly. in, in, in the world of right. uh, building 3D apps.
0: Which is the beauty of AR and ARKit to start with, right? As we opened up AR to a bunch of people, hopefully a bunch of you, that never would have done AR, yeah. right? And now they can put, put AR into their apps. And, and we have over 7,000 in the App Store right now and growing, which... It's about seven thousand more than there would have been otherwise. No.
2: But, and what you said about how short it was, I mean, you know, you can imagine the original version of the deck had us, you know, spending fifteen minutes talking about reality composer and another for you know what and then we got down to where we had a cover slide where I said, It's reality composer And then I have one slide with this animation and and I I had like a few things I was gonna say and we go through rehearsal and I say, Reality composer, it's great, you can drag and drop and edit three D and Mike Rockwell's like, could you add like Four more words about. it. <laughs> I'm like, I got to check with Jaws. He's got a stopwatch out. Whether they're going to allow these, uh, you know, it, it, it's it, when you have that much to talk about. It's it's. Uh, well, I think the great thing is you know, developers are all going to follow up. You're going to dive. Oh, we have quantity. over 100
0: sessions yeah. at the WWC. Yeah. That's the beauty. We have 200 labs, so we have more time to engage with you know real engineers on this okay. stuff. But you know, people got to pee, so we can. O-
1: yeah, there's we can, we can only keep them there for so
0: long. Which I think your audience is starting to
1: experience.: uh, Yeah we're getting there. Uh, um, let me just uh, end here. Uh, final card is uh, security and privacy-related stuff. And
2: uh, From What I hear, every company in the valley is now the protector of your privacy. Uh, it's become a, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's
1: become a more popular word. is
2: isn't <laughs> in it months.)
1: Uh, including from, from some companies that have said in the past that you have no privacy. Yeah, <laughs> like That's an unusual thing to say. <laughs> that, that makes me uncomfortable. Um, the sign-in with Apple is a thing that... It's an idea that seems kind of obvious, and a thousand people have had it, and they've said... <laughs> Boy, Apple could do that, and it would be awesome, but eh, they probably wouldn't do it. And now you've done it. And it is, uh, it really seemed. it's... Well, and a lot of you guys are the ones that asked us to do it, right. right? It was developers that were saying,
0: look, you know, we need a frictionless way to authenticate users into our app. We don't know what's going on with this data about our customers right. that we're surrendering to somebody else. Can you do it and do it in your Apple sort of way? And that's what this team stepped up to do.
2: But I can't tell you how many times I've downloaded an app. It comes up with one of those, I close, delete. <laughs> you know, you just never even, even experienced that. I've, been, I've done it. I have done it. Yeah. And, you know,
1: it, and, and it is true that it, it, once you have it, the, you can see, though, what the appeal was originally with people using single sign-on is that, well, you, there's so many thousand ways you can screw up security. Here's these big companies. They've been through it all. They've made all the mistakes. You can kind of trust them on right. the security level. It's the privacy issue where, you know, the yeah. trust comes in. Uh, and it's ease of use right? it's like here I'm, I am go outside the hall and I'm going to get one of these scooters that you can scoot around on and it's like I've never used it before and it's like the lo- you know, if I've got to send my email and then wait for the email arrive and then to click through the email it's like well, I'm just going to walk you know? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's an appeal to that I, that's, yeah. I think that's why one of the scooter companies was one of the demos you guys showed using it that you yeah, can hit sign in with Apple, it face IDs you and now you're scooting <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> But your like, information about you is not
1: <laughs> I thought something <laughs> so one of the things it's not a secret it's in the it's in the small print or, or it looked small to me, but it's in the you know the description of using it that um, uh, come fall, any app that uses a third party sign in service will have to offer sign in with Apple as one of the options. And at first, it, I think the reaction was, ooh, that's a little heavy-handed. And then, because it just seems like you're, you're issuing a, a, a dictum, a, you know, you're bossing people around. But you think, if you give it any thought, it, it just makes sense for everybody involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, again, going back, developers are the ones that first asked us to do it. Uh, at a customer level, I mean, customers. You know, when it comes to privacy, you want transparency and control, right? You want the customer to know what information are they giving to somebody, and they want the control of whether to do that or not. In the situation of these buttons, there's no transparency. People had no idea what kind of information was flowing through that single tap, and so what we wanted to do is provide that transparency and control, right? The normal authentication, there's no information flowing. <laughs> Yeah, Maybe they're here. Uh, uh, in the event that the developer wants that additional information, you see what's going to go to them, right. right? You see the name and you can edit it. They, right. You see that it's your email unless you choose to hide it and that we've given the randomized email address. So we have that transparency. <laughs> that transparency and control. So in the event that an app is providing those means to log in through a social networking, then we say we should offer customers this more private choice. If they're not doing that, right, they just have their own authentication, their own system of, of logging in. They don't need to do this, but it's just a matter of, in this situation, we want to give those users that
1: transparency and control as a way to
0: authenticate. Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, there's privacy, the stuff, you guys have been talking about it more, it, it I really think it's true. I don't think it's any kind of change of heart or change of course from Apple strategically. I think Apple has always had this in mind and really has never been interested in hoovering up personal data about its users. It's just become culturally something that people, even if you're not Apple customers, people just talking about all sorts of stuff in the tech industry are suddenly sort of dawning on them that that we've been living through a privacy apocalypse
0: (laughs) for the well, last Well, and years. I'd like to say, John, and you've heard me say it before, we've been doing privacy since, before, privacy since before it was popular. Right. Right? I mean, we were building it into our systems and building it into what we do when no one outside of Germany seemed to care. Right. You know, the Germans care a lot. Um, you know, and, and we were doing it because we knew it was the right thing to do. And you've heard Craig say, you've heard Tim say it, you know, privacy is a fundamental human right. And whether it was popular or not, you know, we were going to do it. And fortunately, it's gotten more popular, which has been a good position for us since we've worked pretty hard on it over the years.
2: This, this really goes, I mean, all the way back to the uh, origins of the company. I mean, the, the Apple was created to be the personal computer company. And remember, the competition was some kind of time-shared mainframe, have all your data somewhere else. And the idea of you can have your own computer, got your own diskettes, and that's, you got your stuff. It's yours. <laughs> right? And, and that's been that's, that's at the core of who we are. And if you look at some of these other companies, that's clearly not at the core of, of, of who they are. And we're also a company where our idea is we're building stuff that we would want for ourselves, that we would want for our families, you know, our children, our friends. And I don't want to be tracked. I don't want my family to be tracked, right? So we've, we've always been wanting to build this stuff because we just think it's The right thing to do, and there was a time where everyone's saying privacy is dead, and you guys are so naive, and why do you care about this? And is this disadvantaging you? And no, it's just right. right.
1: Uh, We can't top that. I think think let's let's call that a show. Thank yous. I have a bunch of people to thank. Let me thank Craig and Jaws for your time.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah.
1: Thank you. I'm. Every single year I spend my Tuesday at WWDC saying, what? Why, do do why do I do this? I'm a nervous wreck. Uh, and then it's over. And I'm like, well, that was fun. Larry, do that. So what are you bad. guys doing next month? <laughs> we can do this all the time. This is great. Um, there's other people at Apple, and I know, you know that it, there's all sorts of people at Apple who, who help make this possible, help get these guys here. Uh, I want to thank somebody who, who has a big part in doing WWDC. His name is uh, Nitin Mishra, and Nitin, uh, he, he's probably mad at me that I'm thanking him, but uh, he literally brought these chairs from <laughs> Infinite Loop in a pickup truck.
2: <laughs> I thought I recognized it. Yeah,
1: they're very
2: nice chairs. I really, I,
1: I, I just wouldn't be comfortable up here if we didn't have nice chairs. And so, uh, it, that's it just, awesome. That That is like the least of uh, what he's done So he, he's really done a great job I don't know that this show would be possible without him As always I want to thank the wonderful staff Here at the California Theater They are such nice people Oh my god uh, I'm a big believer in Murphy's Law I figure everything's going to go wrong The lights aren't going to work The sound's not going to work And ev- nothing went wrong So I, I really can't believe it uh, I want to thank John, Tito.
2: John, they forgot to hit record. <laughs> it. <laughs> it looks like Syracuse has captured it all. Don't yeah, oh, yeah. right, worry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've been trying to suck our souls into that thing. This. Like
1: I want to thank Tito T I dot T O, the ticketing service I use, run by my friend Paul Campbell, and it's a great team. Really a great service. I I, I don't know what I would do without it. I probably wouldn't have a show uh, or make somebody else sell the tickets. Uh, (laughs) I want to thank the sponsors. Mac Stadium, a great, great hosting service to get your Mac hardware or use their Mac hardware in truly pro data centers. OmniFocus from the Omni Group, now available on the web in the craziest way possible, which is beautiful. It really looks great. And Slack, who are hiring iOS engineers, and iOS engineers might soon be Mac engineers. That's right. (laughs) We should start calling them UIKit engineers, really. I think so. And uh, some of my friends who helped me do this show, Marco Armand is up there uh, with a live audio stream. Uh, For the the fifth year in a row Jake Shoemaker is shooting the video Which will be out soon I don't know how soon But hopefully tomorrow Uh, But he does a great job Makes us all look good Uh, My friend Caleb Sexton Who edits my show every week The audio is up there Making sure we sound good And make sure our mics are on And all of that And uh, Great for (laughs)
0: Caleb.
1: Our very fine announcer Paul Kafasis Good friend Uh, and my wife, Amy, uh, half of you probably already got help from her. (laughs) It was like five minutes before the show, and there was something minor wrong, not major wrong, and Jaws just turned to her and goes, like, you do everything. (laughs) And And she agreed. Yeah, she she did. (laughs) But I really don't know what I would do without her, uh, it's, I, my thanks to her, she does a great job, uh. And last but not least, of course, all of you
2: in the room
1: on the internet. Thank you very much for coming.
2: Thank you, sir.